0: And check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash detectives. If you want to be sure to never miss an episode of the podcast, I encourage you to follow it using your favorite podcast software, including Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or the Amazon Music app at amazon.com slash Detectives. And I also want to encourage you to check out my ebooks. All I needed to know, I learned from Columbo, and all I needed to know, I learned from Dragnet. Each ebook examines the careers and histories of seven great fictional detectives and policemen and life lessons that can be learned from them. They are available as audiobooks in the Apple Store or on the Audible Store. You can also find the ebook versions wherever fine ebooks are sold. Well now, it is time for this week's episode of Follow Vance. The original air date, January 17th, 1950, and the title is The Talking Corpse Murder Case.
1: Yes.
2: Mr. Vance. There's a lady to see in the outer office. She has no appointment. Will you see her?
1: All right. Where's Miss Deering?
2: Oh, your secretary's out to lunch, Mr. Vance.
1: What's the name of the lady who's calling on me?
2: I don't know. She can hardly talk, Mr. Vance. She just managed to tell me she had to see her. She's either awfully scared or terribly unhappy about something. Send her in,
1: please. Come in, please, won't you?
2: <coughs> Thank you.
1: Sit down, if you will, and tell me how I can help you.
2: Oh, Mr.
1: Vance. Oh, it's quite all right. You're safe. Won't you calm yourself and tell me what's troubling you?
2: Mr. Vance, I. I saw him. I heard him speak.
1: Heard who speak?
2: My husband.
1: Well, that doesn't sound like anything to break you up this way.
2: But you don't understand.
1: No, I don't imagine I do. What's so unusual about seeing your husband and hearing him speak?
2: He's dead. I buried him ten months ago.
3: Stop that, Flo. Stop
4: it. I'll stop it. I'll stop it when this plate cracks against your head instead of the wall.
3: You little devil, I Keep ought Keep away to come...
4: from me. Keep away from me, George. I'll let you have it with this lamp.
3: You wouldn't do that to your ever-loving husband now, would you?
4: Would I? You bet I would.
3: Take your hands off the lamp, sweetheart. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to talk to you the way I did. Honey? Honey, honestly, I didn't mean to...
4: George, why do you do things like that? Honey? Oh, George... George, how'd a girl like me ever get tangled up with somebody like you, huh? How?
3: Put your arms around me, Flo. That's the way.
4: Now, <laughs> darling.
3: That's me. And honey, that's you. Put <laughs> darling and honey together, what have you got?
4: Us. Uh, what a combination <laughs> we are. We're either making love or making war. Married six months and not a dish left in the place. I've thrown them all at you.
3: Your aim is bad, honey.
4: With a dish, Maybe. But it's pretty good with a gun. And I got a gun. Only, darling, don't ever make me use it on you. I'll miss you so.
5: Well, Vance, it certainly is an unusual situation. That is, if Mrs. Miller was telling the truth.
1: I'm sure she was, Markham. I know it's no case for a district attorney... And I didn't come here to talk to you about it professionally. I am interested in your reaction, though. She said she buried her husband ten months ago. That's right. And she was wearing deep black, Markham. A black dress, black gloves, black veil. And I checked with the undertaker who had charge of the funeral. She buried her husband, all right. The records show that a Daniel Miller was interred in Holly Oaks Cemetery just ten months ago. And
5: his widow, who after ten months reverts to her former status as wife, claims she saw him on the street. Why didn't she go up to him?
1: As she explains it, she was too stunned to do anything right then. By the time she recovered her composure, the man had disappeared.
5: Uh Uh-huh. What's your opinion of her story, Vance?
1: I believe it. I believe she saw a man she honestly thought was dead.
5: You mean a dead man has come to life, a corpse is walking around this city?
1: To all intents and purposes, yes. I promised Mrs. Miller I'd do what I could to help her. She's on the verge of collapse. Yes. Well, call on me for anything I can do, Vance. Thank you, Markham. If you think of any way a man can be dead and buried and suddenly come to life, let me know, will you?
2: You two men know what I want you to do.
6: Look, Mrs. Miller, you told us, didn't you? What do you think we are, dopes? Yes, she might be right. i ah, always agreeing, always agreeing with everybody all the time. That's my brother. That's right. Yeah, that's what I mean. Okay, Mrs. Miller, you gave us the picture of your late husband. We got it. You told us where you think you've seen him on the street.
7: We got that, too.
6: We'll stick around that street corner till we see a guy who looks like the pitcher. And if we see him, we follow him to where he's living now. That's right. Uh, You see, she does it, too.
2: Now, look, I don't want any slips on this. I have an idea that some way, somehow, my husband has returned from the dead.
6: Uh, Hey, I don't like that. Listen to him. He don't like it. He likes everything. I'll change his mind. Go ahead, Mrs. Miller.
2: He left me a lot of money when he died, but he's probably working now somewhere in the neighborhood of the street corner where I saw him.
7: I want you to find him. Okay. So we find him. Then what? He
2: was dead once. See to it that he returns to his former status.
7: You playing with that
4: darn cat of yours again. Leave him alone.
3: Don't be funny, Flo. Keep reading your paper. Chang and I are having fun. Come on.
4: Fun with a cat. Oh, brother.
3: Hmm. Well, I've got to go to work in a few minutes, and this is how I relax. Besides, honey, he's a full-breed Persian.
4: Well, let him yeah. do something constructive with those hairs of his he keeps shedding over the rug. Teach mm-hmm. him to crochet or something. Maybe yeah. he can make me a shawl.
3: He's a good cat, aren't you, Chang? Real good cat, huh? Yeah, George.
4: George. Yeah? You never told what me anything married? about where you came from what? before you married me.
3: I was found in a cabbage patch.
4: Don't get cute on you. Come it don't here. look good. Yeah, I've uh, been boy. thinking about this for some yeah, time. Some string. You know, I don't yeah. know a darn thing about what you were before mm. we were married. What about it? Don't talk to me like that. I'll bounce an ashtray off your head.
3: Now, look, honey, we said there'd be no more... We said more of this. there'd be no what?
4: more bathin' if you talk to me the way I'm entitled to be talked to. Kid,
3: let's understand things. I'm your husband.
4: I think you love that cat more than you do me. Every time I think of you feeding him and brushing him, I could...
3: Darling.
4: Oh, honey, let's not fight. What were we fighting about anyhow?
3: You see, it isn't important you don't remember. Now, come on over here.
4: Huh? Okay. <laughs> Get that lap of yours ready. All right. Ah, oh, here we are. Uh-huh. Now I know why we fight. Yeah? Tell me. It's so good making up. Like this. I've got a few minutes, Mr. Vance. What's on your mind?
1: How good is your memory, nurse?
4: Well, I'd remember you if I ever saw you again.
1: Who wouldn't? Well, thank you. A nurse about ten months ago, a patient named Daniel Miller was admitted to this hospital. The records say that you attended him.
4: Miller. Miller, let me see. Appendectomy?
1: No. Tell the truth, I don't know what he was in here for. His wife told me that he was in this hospital a few days before he died. But he was removed from here at his own request. And died at home, as I understand
4: I know the man. You mean short, medium weight, dark hair?
1: I've never seen him.
4: Oh. Well, anyhow, I know whom you mean, Mr. Vance. I remember him very well. Uh, raised quite a rumpus around here about going home, and we finally let him.
1: What was the matter with him? you remember that?
4: Yes, I do. He'd been poisoned.
1: Poisoned, eh? Well, that's something I didn't know. Accidentally, would you say?
4: Figure it out for yourself. When we told him what was the matter with him, he said something like, she did it, finally. I want to get out of here. I'll take care of her in my own way. <laughs>
6: the door to boot, Joe. You want the whole world to hear what we tell Mrs. Miller? It's okay with me if they hear. Nah, everything's okay with you. Close the door. Sure, sure. Only it's a tight squeeze. There.
4: Hello?
6: Mrs. Miller?
2: Yes?
6: You know who this is?
2: Yes. Go ahead and talk.
6: She said talk, so talk. Shut up. What? Oh, not you, Mrs. Miller. Listen, we think we spotted the guy you want. Where is he? Well, that's a problem. We spotted him coming out of a building just now. Only he disappeared into the crowd before we could tail him. Oh. We'll get him tomorrow morning, sure. That is, if he works in a building, which he probably does.
2: All right. Uh, sorry you lost him, but tomorrow will do. One more day isn't so terribly important when so many years depend on what's going to happen then. <coughs>
1: Thanks for getting me official permission to investigate the grave of Daniel Miller, Markham.
5: No trouble, Vance. This might become something in my department after all,
1: judging from what you told me. About Miller's having been poisoned? Yes. I still want to know how he returned to life. In All my years of private investigating, I've never encountered that before.
5: You want to see his grave, is that it, Vance?
1: I want to look into his grave, Markham. I've talked over the phone to the man in charge of the cemetery, and he'll take us out to the spot where Mr. Miller is buried.
5: All that we need is for it to be raining and this would be a perfect setting. (laughs) Late at night, a cemetery, a corpse that walks and talks. What else do we need?
1: eh? Some idea as to how this case will end. It would
5: all be so simple if only Mrs. Miller were lying about seeing her husband.
1: She wasn't. I'll personally guarantee that. Well, let's go. The cemetery caretaker said he'd meet me here at the gate. Do you see him? No, but
5: then I can't see anything at all.
7: (laughs) What was that?
1: Let's make it who was that. I do feel better about it. Hey, who are you? Where are you? Right here. Scared you,
7: didn't I? <laughs>
5: yes, you certainly did. Why aren't there any lights on around
7: here? The people we got around here couldn't see very good if there was lights. <laughs>
5: well, Markham, you know what they say about a foolish question. Yes, remind me to apologize to the tombstones as we pass.
1: Look here, you... Uh, The name is Mort. Rather appropriate, too, in view of this setting. Huh? Mort means death in French. He does?
7: Well, (laughs) what do you know? Uh, You must be Vance and Markham, you two, right?
5: Were you expecting anybody else?
7: Nobody I could talk to. Uh, Come this way, please. I'll show you the grave you're looking for. Uh, Daniel Miller, right? Right, that's correct. Well, he ain't very important around here. Only two autos at his funeral. Now, you take that grave over there. There's a man who should have been glad to die. At uh, 22 autos, and the speech has lasted two hours. In the rain, too.
5: Doesn't it always rain at funerals?
7: It only seems like it does. Now, you take this grave over here. Kind of like this and like that.
1: It Excuse was exactly me, what Mark, I... But who were in the automobiles at Mr. Miller's funeral?
7: In the two cars? Well, uh, there were a couple of men from a lodge he belonged to in one, and his wife was in the other. Crying her eyes out, she was. Uh, She did pretty good for the guy. Uh, Fact is, I ain't seen better crying this year. Where is the grave? A man in a hurry to get to the grave now. That's a good one, eh? (laughs) Well, it's right here. I dug it up like you told me to. Only I didn't touch anything. Why not? Why not? I wasn't told to, and besides, I wouldn't even if I was told to. I'm uh, superstitious.
1: Markham, mark this day down in the book. We have now heard everything. Well, we've got a job to do. I'm going to hop down into that grave.
7: I wouldn't if I was you. Why not? On account of a lot of reasons, only one of which is important.
1: And that is?
7: There ain't no casket, there ain't no body, there ain't nothing in there. What? That's right. I dug up the grave like I was told to do, but I could have saved myself the trouble. Somebody else must have wanted what you fellas wanted and beat you to it. That grave was empty.
5: This is just your attorney, Markham. The case we're working on concerns the reappearance of Daniel Miller, ostensibly dead and buried ten months ago. When Miller's widow comes to Vance, she insists she saw the presumably dead man on the street. Logic or explanation for the case is completely missing, especially inasmuch as an examination of Miller's grave reveals no body. Lance is going to check into more details, and we are at a loss to explain any other characters in this situation, including two men who... Or...
1: You
7: know, I just ordered something. Us two guys keep hanging around in this street corner. People will think we're
6: a couple of bums. Shut up and keep looking. I can look and talk at the same time. It's easy. Ah, you're getting on my nerves at this job. is nothing to do but hang around here watching a building. I'm going to get... Hey. hey, Joe, there he is. That guy who just came out of the building, that's the guy. It sure is. What do we do now? We follow him. Only this time we don't lose him. Come on. Yeah. Uh, Don't we call Mrs. Miller like she told us to? We call her after we call on that guy who just came out of the building.
3: The shot came from this house, officer. I heard it. I call the police right away. Who lives here, do you know? Of course I know. I live next door, don't I? Mr. and Mrs. Ward live here. Came to live here just after they were married about eight months ago. Fight? Used <laughs> to fight all the time, day and night. Day and night. I've never well, seen any... front door's open. Come on in. Hello there. Anybody home? Anybody home? You see, there's nobody home. Can't blame his wife for not
5: staying home much. Can't blame him either. She had the temper. She's always flying off her What's handle. in never... that
3: room there, do you
5: know? Oh, with the door closed? Yeah. There's probably a bedroom, is my house. All these one-story bungalows built just about
3: the same. Just about, I'd say. You take that I'm door... going to take a look in that room. Uh, I- I'll go with you. I'm not afraid of anything, long as you're here. That's real brave of you. Now, just a second while I take a look in here. Oh, that's right. oh, it, a cat. Close the door. Close the door. I can't stand cats. I've never been able to stand cats ever since I was a little boy. I never did you, uh, did you see what was next to that cat? Well, no, really didn't. It was so scared by... That it... cat was standing next to a body. The body of his master, I'd say. And the master was dead with a bullet hole in his forehead.
1: Hello, Philo Vance speaking.
5: This is Markham Vance. How many cases have you helped us solve, Vance?
1: Why, I don't know. Why do you ask?
5: Because we've finally been able to help you with one. Oh? Yes, a man known as George Ward, who lived with his wife at 10 Jackson Road, was found murdered a little while ago. Yes? merely as a matter of procedure, Homicide Sergeant Heath took his fingerprints and checked them. He found that George Ward is really Daniel Miller, the man you've been looking for.
1: Well, that's very interesting. What were the circumstances of the murder?
5: Well, Ward, or Miller, was shot with a small caliber revolver. When the police officer on duty came into the room, the body was being guarded by a gray Persian cat. Belong to the Wards, as I understand it.
1: I see. Well, thank you for calling, Markham. This is beginning to make some sense to me now. It is? Definitely. I believe I know what happened to Daniel Miller ten months ago, but I'm not sure. How do we find out? How, Markham? Why, by finding out who killed George Ward, of course. <laughs>
4: of me. Let Uh, go of me, copper. If I ever get in my house, I'll break a plate over your head. Let go of me. Easy
3: now, Mrs. Ward. (laughs) Take it easy. All I want to do is take you downtown for questioning. Orders were to pick you up. Now that your husband was murdered... I don't
4: know anything about this murder. I was downtown shopping. I heard about it on the radio and I came straight out here. Are you gonna let me alone?
3: Sorry, Mrs. Ward. I gotta take you downtown. That's my orders. Sergeant Heath wants you brought in. We understand you and your husband had been doing a lot of battling
4: and the sergeant... The sergeant wants to see me, does he? All right, I'll go with you. Let me stop at the dime store first. I want to get a couple of plates to break over his head if he tries to say that I killed George.
6: Okay, Mrs. Miller, you heard the radio. guy named George Ward was killed. That was the guy whose picture you showed us. It sure was. It was his picture you showed my brother and me. We followed him to his
7: house, a bungalow, and then we knocked him off.
2: And uh, now you want to be paid.
7: That's right. It ain't wrong, lady. Shut up, you. Everybody tells me to shut up.
2: Now, look, you two followed orders. You did as you were told. But how am I going to be sure the man you killed was my former husband? Oh, dear, this black
6: dress. I could get your wisp room, lady. Never mind. You got a point there, Mrs. Miller. You couldn't be sure that Ward and your husband was the same guy. Suppose we wait till tomorrow when you see the pictures in the paper. That ought to be proof enough for you. Sure it should. Hmm,
2: Sounds all right. Suppose you two come around here tomorrow night and
7: I.
6: Nothing doing. Uh Uh-uh, nothing doing, lady. Why not? I don't know. Ask me, brother.
2: Well, why not come around here tomorrow night? I'll
6: I'll pay you then. Mrs. Miller, by tomorrow night, you could be a thousand miles away from here. You got what you want. You're really a widow this time. All the dough the guy left, you know you can keep now. You don't have to worry about us ever coming back and throwing you out on your ear.
2: You're pretty smart, aren't
6: you? We sure are. I'm smart enough to know the score. No, lady, you're going to have company until them papers come out. Joey and me, we're staying here.
2: I won't have you in my house. I'll have you thrown out.
6: Sit down, lady. You
2: you—you you pushed me. You, you dared to push me. Why, Why I could have the both You'd of you... You'd go
6: to the chair, too, Mrs. Miller. You hired us. Remember it. If... Oh, expecting somebody... No. Well, get rid of whoever it is. Yeah, get rid of him.
2: Both of you stay here.
6: No, no, I'll go to the door. And I'll stay right behind it in case you get cute. Come on. I'll uh, stay here, huh? You want me here? That's right. All right, Mrs. Miller. Open it up.
2: Mr. Vance.
6: Good evening, Mrs. Miller.
1: I believe I have some news for you. May I come in?
2: Not right now. I'm busy. It won't take
1: a minute. There we are. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize you might have had company. My name is Vance. Well, change it. Your friend isn't very sociable, is he? Seems to me I recognize him. Isn't he one of the Dilling brothers? The police are looking for them.
2: Vance, I've got so much to tell you, but arrest these two men. They're murderers. They killed a man known as George...
1: You've <laughs> got a big mouth, lady. And you've got big hands, my friend. I don't like women being slapped.
6: No? How much don't you like it? This much. <laughs> Hey, hey, what do you think you're doing to my brother? I think
1: I've already done it.
7: Yeah? Well, I can take Stay care right of you. Stay where
1: you are. I don't want to have to use this gun. Now, suppose we all relax and we finish this business that was started in my office yesterday morning, Mrs. Miller. What are you doing? Oh, I'm
2: sorry. These black dresses, they pick up everything. I was just trying to get some lint off.
1: You got some of the lint off, Mrs. Miller. Your dress isn't entirely clean yet.
2: Oh, is there something else?
1: Yes, but it can wait. You're surprisingly calm, Mrs. Miller.
2: Why shouldn't I be? You're here. I have nothing to fear now. Have I?
1: I don't know. Did you ever meet a man named George Ward?
2: George Ward? That's a man these two brothers admitted to me they killed. Why you shut up. idiot? They said he they said he was my husband. That, that's why they were here and they tried to blackmail me.
1: You never saw or knew Ward.
2: No. Vance, I thought my husband was dead until I saw him on the street the other day. I never saw him again, never. If he changed his name to Ward, I didn't know it.
1: That's entirely possible.
2: You, you believe me then?
1: I believe that seeing your husband on the street was a great shock to you. I believe you honestly thought he was dead. I believe you didn't know he was living under the name of Ward. And I also believe you murdered him early this evening. <laughs> You're entitled to an explanation of this case, and you're going to get it. The entire explanation. Will you tell him, Mrs. Miller? You tell him. You're the genius. Well, ten months ago, Daniel Miller left a hospital knowing his wife had tried to murder him by poison. He went home and bribed an undertaker to bury an empty casket. That was to fool his wife, who was not in town at the time, but returned in time to go to the funeral. Oh, that's what he did, eh?
2: Sure, he did. But I got him just the same. I had to kill him. You hear me? I had to. I couldn't stand him when he was married to me, but it was worse when he was married to another girl. And I'd kill him again if I got the chance. I'd kill him again. better take
3: her out of here, Burke. Right, Mr. Markham. Come on, you. Let's get going.
2: You'll never send me to the chair. I'll say I'm crazy. I'll I'll say I'm insane. They'll never be able to kill me for what I've done. Come on, out. You only think you
1: Well. Hmm. Well, Vance, where were we? We were talking about how Miller had himself buried in an empty casket, which he later reclaimed. Yes,
5: yes. What happened after that?
1: Daniel Miller then disappeared and adopted the identity of George Ward, marrying another girl and starting an entirely new existence. Uh Uh-huh. Then Mrs. Miller saw him on the street and realized he wasn't dead and might show up at any time to either accuse her of attempted murder or throw her out in the street. So Mrs. Miller went to you. That was a mistake, but she was so confused at the time she couldn't even talk, much less think. However, she realized later she had to keep away from me, and she did, and hired the Dilling brothers to wait on the corner where she saw her husband and try and follow him to his new home. As I understand it, they did. Then later came back to Mrs. Miller, who they insist didn't know where
5: her husband was living. Vance, the Dilling boys wanted to be paid for the murder.
1: Why didn't you think they did it? I was sure Mrs. Miller did the job. You see, what happened was this. When the Dillings spotted her husband, she was watching them. She followed them in a cab while they were following her husband. Sounds like a parade. Mm-hmm. Uh,
5: that's how she found out where Miller was living, eh? Yes. You reason that she got into the house before they did, by the back door probably, and killed Miller. The Dillings found the husband dead, but they tried to get paid regardless.
1: Exactly. Yeah. We have Mrs. Miller's confession, of course, but I knew she was guilty because I saw that on her black dress there was a long gray hair. A hair that could only have come from a Persian cat. Of course, the Persian cat. Now, you had told me that the man who was murdered had a Persian cat. Yes. Well, the combination of circumstances couldn't be coincidence. Your laboratory has a hair from that cat and from Mrs. Miller's dress. I'm sure they'll match. I'm sure you're right, Vance. Just as I'm sure Mrs. Miller has reached the end of the line. And we've reached the end of the talking corpse murder case. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.
0: Welcome back. Well, of all of the Philo Vance episodes we've played, this is the one that is the most Philo Vance uh, episode. And by that, I mean... As if that weren't perfectly clear. But by that, I mean this has the most plot beats, tropes, and general elements that get associated with Philo Vance. It's like they set out to put as many of these things in there, such as two thugs, one of whom has a pathological uh, speech pattern, a disturbing romantic a relationship, and just kept packing things in. The one thing I did like was that her visit to follow Vance was a mistake because she was in shock, and that's one of the most realistic plot beats they've had the entire series. However, she hired two crooks to follow her husband so that she could follow the crooks, and she was standing out there waiting to follow the crooks who she was uh, uh, hiring to follow her ex-husband. And of course, the husband's decision to fake his own death, he became aware that his wife was trying to kill him when he was the one who actually had the money. Seems like one of the most odd decisions you could make. But again, I think that this is the episode that, where Philo Vance is definitely, as a series, it's the most of what it is, if that makes sense. Alright, listener comments and feedback now. And we turn to SaySoft, uh, who comments on YouTube regarding the Grey Glove murder case. Adam, I always have to laugh whenever you make fun of these flawed scenarios, but there's yet another flaw in this scenario that you probably never thought about. In the opening scene, everybody tried to find out what was going on in the locked room by peeping through the keyhole. The only kind of door lock that has this kind of a keyhole is the old-fashioned skeleton key lock, which can be locked or unlocked from either side of the door. This kind of door lock was pretty much useless because the skeleton keys that fit them could be bought at most any five-and-dime store of the period. I know that because back in the 70s, I bought a pair of skeleton keys for my parents' house at the local uh, McCrory five-and-dime store. Uh, You don't have to have them cut to match the lock because they're all generic and will open the door of pretty much any house in the neighborhood, especially if the houses were built by the same contractor. The pair that I bought were in a bubble pack hanging on the display in the store's hardware aisle. If I remember something, I paid like 79 cents for the pair. So the idea that nobody could open that door from the outside is completely bogus. I'm sure that listening audiences of the time would have picked up on that since Skeleton Key Locks were very common during that era. Well, thanks so much. Uh, That's not something I thought of, and I appreciate hearing from you on that point. And while I had been aware of skeleton keys, the sort of ease of using them does explain a few things. Like the necessity of doors being locked from the inside, and the little other touches you'll see. Perhaps more careful mystery writers frame these sort of locked room mysteries in of course i would say the skeleton key is not necessarily completely useless Uh, It is easy to open if you have a set of skeleton keys, but there are different shapes to the locks. This is why, for example, uh, Nero Wolf's man, Archie Goodwin, carries around a set of skeleton keys. And, of course, there have been many stories where the police have stopped someone and been suspicious when they found a set of skeleton keys on their persons, because they're like, okay, you, why do you have this? An average person does not need uh, every single skeleton key. They need keys to the locks in their house. So I think in the case of the Philo Vance scene, the audience might have concluded that nobody had the particular key that was needed to open that particular door on them. Now we turn to an email from, uh, I I hope I'm pronouncing the name correctly, uh, Lofa. Sent an email with a lot of questions and comments in it. I'm not going to cover all of them. There are some that I think are worth discussing and addressing. So let's go ahead and we'll, uh, take a look. First, uh, Lovo writes, Dr. Tim, detective, defense attorney, Bill Lance, treasury agent, police blotter, airmail mystery, Roger Kilgore, public defender, that strong guy, man from homicide, defense attorney, uh, c- a client, uh, crime files of Flamon, Hearthstone of the Death Squad, Easy Money, the big guy, and call the police all want their f- own feeds on iPhone podcasts. They all told me so. Uh, well, of course... What uh, is being referenced is the fact that if you search in the Apple podcast store, you'll find a lot of our older feeds. Things like Leonidas Witherall or P. Kelly's Blues or Crime on the Waterfront that were for these smaller programs, we will find those with their own named feeds in the Apple Podcast Store. However, we stopped doing that for later seasons, and there is a reason for that. First of all, we stopped for many years adding new feeds at all because of the difficulty of finding the time to meet Apple's uh, requirements. But then we figured that out and we started you know, backfilling in uh, some of the feeds we hadn't done in the past. And what I had seen from a lot of the smaller feeds is they did not get a lot of downloads or traffic. With the exception of our Father Brown feed. The reason is that very few people are looking for these specific programs, whereas they may go searching for something like Philip Marlowe. And we did try setting up some feeds for newer, smaller programs like Indictment and Under Arrest and O'Hara. But I came to the conclusion that we were cluttering up the Apple Podcast Store with a lot of feeds that we could kind of had to manage and keep track of, but we're not actually helping people be able to find anything. So I made the decision that what we were going to do is put all series that only have between three and nine episodes into a feed called The Forgotten Detectives of Old Time Radio. And then anything where we just had one or two episodes of the series, we would do as The Rare Detectives of Old old-time radio. And anything we'd had up before, uh, because it's valuable for search purposes to have spot in the podcast store, we'll leave this extra feed that's just this kind of obscure show because it's there. And that's really worked quite well in terms of getting these programs to listeners. And in most cases with the grandfathered programs that remained on their own feed as well, they got more listens on the Forgotten or Rare Detectives feed. So that's where you can find all of the more obscure programs with fewer episodes. A couple other comments in the Barry Uh... Craig feed, there are three misplaced episodes from Ideal and Crime. And then, uh, episode 1883 is named, uh, The Defense Rest, Client Joseph, uh, Moriano, instead of Defense Attorney Client, uh, Joseph Moriano. Why? Uh, well, uh, those two questions on the Barry Craig feed, those are not actually an error. They're kind of bonus, uh, episodes since William Gargan starred in both series, so I included, uh, Ideal in Crime in the Barry Craig feed. For the defense attorney, Defense Rest, the series starring Mercedes McCambridge was originally presented as a pilot for NBC. And it was presented under the title, The Defense Rest. And then uh, when it was picked up by ABC, ABC ran it as defense attorney. So that was for the NBC pilot. Uh, and then could you please create a list or something that says which year, uh, or which season a series was played in, uh, what we are actually doing right now is we are creating season feeds or volume feeds, I should say, and, uh, we've got volume one, uh, out right now volume1.greatdetectives.net we're getting towards the tail end of season two and then we'll post season three and so volume one will contain seasons one through three volume two seasons four through six and so on with each volume containing three seasons. So as we build that out, listeners, if they want to go back, listen to a past season, they can kind of listen to it in the same way that the original listeners did. Also been adding commentary for each season. So you can check that out over at volume1.greatdetectives.net, and I hope that will... The listener's needs on those points. And then uh, the email goes into some other things I won't get into, because it's a bit political. But uh, in a follow-up, Lofo writes, "Uh, I'm so thankful for you not caving to trolls, mean comments, and sticking by your idea on how you would like it, and being so open to hearing criticism, provided it's constructive. So very many podcasters seem, as you pointed out in one episode I listened to today, Not to uh, start a podcast for the right reasons, or they did, but came to social pressure to conform and ended up with an end result that they don't feel too much for and quit. I suspect those two reasons are behind why there are so many dead podcasts out there. I wish you at least 10 or more years. Well, thank you so much. There are a lot of abandoned podcasts out there, and there are a lot of reasons uh, behind it. I've abandoned a few podcasts, and usually it's been because I've not been able to get an audience for that particular project. That's a big reason, for example, why I stopped doing the Classy Comics podcast, and others because of a lack of time. Which was also part of the reason why I ended the Classy Comics podcast, because I knew that if I were going... Going to do like all of the promotion and cross uh, promotional work that would it would take to build that podcast up. There, there just was not enough hours in the day. So there's a lot of reasons why I think that they get abandoned. I, I think that folks who expect that you know you pick a popular topic and start talking about it and you're going to have success. Not really the way it works, I think, was what I was referencing in that conversation. I think the key to any success in producing content, whether you're talking about videos or podcasts, is just having that passion for the topic and a willingness to keep going through some difficult uh, times in terms of actually getting an audience. And it's very tough in today's environment. I think in many ways I was blessed to have started when I did because the podcast space hadn't become so overcrowded. And it was possible for folks just to discover the podcast through searching. So it's a lot of work. And I can totally understand some folks just... You know, recording a bit and deciding, you know, I don't think that this is something I can really this much time into. It's always, uh, always a decision. But thanks so much for the email, and now it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. Thank you to Adele, Patreon supporter since April of 2021, currently supporting us at the rookie level of $2 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support. And that will do it for today. A reminder, if you want to be sure to never miss an episode, I encourage you to follow this podcast using your favorite podcast software, including TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, or the Apple Podcast app. And if you are enjoying this podcast on YouTube, be sure to like the video, subscribe to the channel, and mark the notification bell. Next Tuesday, we will be bringing you Michael Piper, Private Detective. And next Thursday, we'll be back with another episode of Follow Vance. But join us back here tomorrow for the last episode we have of John Lund as Johnny Dollar, where... Yes, I am, Mr. Dollar. Lieutenant
1: Hanks, Milwaukee Police Department.
5: I'm glad to know you, Lieutenant. What's on your mind?
1: I've been in touch with the Home Office of Washingtonian Life. They told me you were on your way out here to see Joe Martin.
5: Yeah, that's right. Why?
1: Well, you got here a little late. He's been murdered.
5: On our way out to the Whitefish Bay area, where Joe Martin had had his home, Lieutenant Hanks filled me in on what they'd found.
0: Preliminary medical examination indicates he was killed last night, somewhere between 8 o'clock and midnight.
5: They talked with our home office sometime last night.
1: Yeah, that's what gave us the 8 o'clock figure. Oh, call was put through shortly before then. Our medical examiner will pin it down more closely when he gets through posting Martin. Yeah. How was he killed, Lieutenant? Gunshots. Once in the chest, once in the right side of the throat. Uh Bullets, thirty-two caliber, no sign of the weapon. Either one of the shots would have been instantaneously fatal. Makes
0: it homicide without a question of a doubt. Yeah. I left Hartford only a couple of hours ago, Lieutenant.